Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is Foreign Exchanges for May 22nd, 2019. This is a bonus episode this week. Uh, we are going to be discussing Australia's election, which took place this past Saturday. Uh, the major upset uh, after weeks upon weeks of polling, uh, more than a year really of consistent polling showing that the opposition Labour Party was going to win uh, Australia's 2019 election. When the votes were counted, it turned out that the governing coalition of Prime Minister Scott Morrison, the Liberal National Coalition, had come out victorious. Uh, even in the current age where you know there was the brexit referendum there was the 2016 campaign here in the u.s there have been a lot of examples of polling kind of n not necessarily getting things wrong but not quite getting it right either uh even in this age where we should learn to be skeptical of polls when you have the mass of polling that existed in australia suggesting one outcome and then you get the other outcome it's still pretty surprising uh so we're going to talk about that i'm going to be joined here via skype in a couple of minutes by matt brady uh many of you may know matt from his appearances on chapel trap house but he is uh first first of all he's an official australian person so that gives him far more qualification than I have to talk about Australia's election. Uh, but he's also, I think, a very perceptive observer of Australian politics, and he's got some interesting takes on the cast of characters that were involved. Uh, he's also going to help us understand Australia's voting system, which is much different from what most people in the U.S., I think, or maybe everybody in the U.S., I don't know, from state to state, uh, how, how uh, some states may do things. But uh, he's going to explain to us how Australia's system, which is called ranked choice voting, uh, works, how it's supposed to work, and how it kind of eventually plays out in practice. Uh, and he will offer his take on where Australia is headed from here. And I'm sad to say uh, it is a depressing take. <laughs> Having already heard it when we did our interview, uh, it is a depressing tale uh, of things to come. So uh, on that note, I will uh, get the, the interview queued up here. I apologize in advance for sound quality. Uh, you guys know of, know my travails here, you know, the moving and the different things. This is the first time I've really tried to do a, a an interview here in the new space, and it's not conducive to a good a good quality interview. I mean, you'll be able to to make a make out what we're saying. Certainly, I think we're both. You know, it's clear the audio is clear, but you know, I got a dishwasher going in the back, and there's an echo in this room. It'll all be better once we finally get settled uh, in a new place and we're not in this temporary situation. So again, I do apologize for that, but uh, I appreciate your patience, and, and uh, it's going to be a few months, but we will eventually get this all worked out. Uh, that said, uh, let me get the interview going and uh, uh, enjoy. Okay, so I'm here looking to deconstruct the surprise, maybe, I guess, uh, outcome of Australia's election on Saturday, and I'm here with uh, Foreign Exchange's Australia correspondent, or our Australia <laughs> elections correspondent, Matt V. Brady. Matt, thank you for being here. Uh, hi, Derek, and thanks for having me. And uh, I believe they're calling it the Morrison Miracle. <laughs> Are they seriously? No, I just... Okay, all right, okay. They right, okay. several headlines. <laughs> that would... Uh, um, 
All right, as as an official Australian person, uh, you are uh, ideally qualified to discuss what the hell it is just happened here. Uh, so I, I absolutely am. I barely <laughs> paid attention to the election because I was very sick of it all until about two days prior to it. So. <laughs> well, see, I mean, that's two days. That's two days more than most people in the U.S. pay attention. So uh, you're ahead of it's, the game. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, and this is, I mean, in in all seriousness, uh, the way that Australia conducts its elections is uh, quite a bit different from what I think. Uh, would be the experience for most people in the U.S. in terms of voting. You guys use a ranked choice system. Can you explain uh, to people how that works? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, we do also have compulsory voting. You get fined. If right, you that too. Yes, you're right. Exactly your right. Yeah. Uh, but the ranked voting, preference voting, it's normally called here, is uh, so you've got, I think there was, in my electorate, I think, I believe there was six candidates running to be our member of parliament so you get the ballot that will have all six candidates with a little box next to their name and essentially you rank them in order of your preference for how much you want to vote for them i guess is an awkward way of explaining it so for example if i was a labor voter i'd vote for the labor candidate number one and then i'd go from there two three four and put the person I dislike the most at six. And uh, if someone wins a clear majority, like the primary vote, which normally happens, the preferences don't really matter that much. But if someone doesn't, that's when they kind of come into play. So who you voted for second or third or fourth or even fifth, sixth, seventh, some electorates can have eight or nine candidates. So the idea, really, so. Like, so the idea is like the, the person who finishes the first round with the fewest votes gets cut then, I guess? And if that was your yeah, first choice... Yeah, if someone wins 50, 55% of the vote, if someone... If, if a Labor candidate... If 55% of the electorate vote number one for the Labor candidate, they're the clear winner. The rest of the preferences don't really matter that much. But if no one reaches that 50%, that's when they come into play. That's how I understand it anyway. I... I I actually think preference voting is something a lot of Australians don't understand, <laughs> which is a bit of a problem <laughs> since it's, it's a very essential part of our system. There's also there's a lot of shenanigans when it comes to preferential voting because every party has the way they'd like their supporters to vote. So there's a lot of like shady backroom deals like, that they call preference deals where like, Labor will announce, okay, this is how we'd like our voters to vote this election. This is exactly how we'd like you to order our preferences. And that becomes a problem when in Australia, as we do, we now have, at last count, three to four minor parties that are basically foaming at the mouth Nazi parties. <laughs> and nice. uh, sometimes nice. Labor kind of puts them a bit further up in the order than they should because they don't want people voting for the Greens, who are their biggest not rival, they're the people at most in danger of siphoning votes away from Labor, are the Greens, and they often rank the Greens lower than, say, the One Nation Party, which is a very openly white supremacist party that is gaining in popularity to an alarming degree. So my question, my, my second question here then is, and I, this could be, 
uh, you know, this could be related to, you know, as you say, maybe people don't really understand the system that well or so, whatever. Uh, but does it, this, this rank choice is supposed to, in theory, empower smaller parties because you can vote for yes. the Greens or you can vote if you're a Nazi, you can vote for One Nation and, yes. and still feel confident that you're not, you know, so quote unquote throwing your vote away because when your candidate is eliminated in whatever round of, you know, kind of voting, your second place person, if that's Labour or the Liberals or whoever, will get your vote. In practice, though, does it actually do that? Because it still seems like basically the election comes down to Labour versus the Liberals. Oh, yes. It still it still very much comes down to that. Uh, occasionally, every now and then, Australia will have like a strong third party, minor party. But you're talking about someone who's getting like three to four seats in Parliament maximum and... Uh, even that's pretty rare these days. I believe there's currently the Greens have one seat in the lower house. That is, uh, the Senate is a whole different matter entirely. Oh yeah, we're we're not even going to get into. <laughs> let's yeah. just let's just keep it simple. <laughs> so in in the lower house, as we call it, of Parliament, uh, the Greens I believe have one seat, and then there's six independents who have no allegiance to any party. They're totally independent. Whether what they really are is a matter of debate because a lot of them are pretty much just inde- liberals or Labor Party members calling themselves independents for whatever reason. It was an independent who actually beat uh, former Prime Minister Tony Abbott in his seat for the first time in 25 years <laughs> this election. A former uh, Winter Olympian, I believe she was, a skier. Not well. Zali Stegel. <laughs> there you go. See, there's life after the Olympics. I was gonna. I'm gonna ask you about Ab, Tony Abbott in a minute, actually, because I, I do have yeah. a question about him. Um, but so but yeah, uh, traditionally, minor parties can have a lot more influence in the Senate, which is really where traditionally in Australia, minor parties have wielded a lot more influence. Some would say outsize levels of influence that's where the that's the traditional power of the greens is in the senate that's where one nation gets most of its uh attention there was an old party that kind of self-destructed but uh they were fairly popular in the 80s and 90s called the australian democrats i remember they consistently get about 10 10 to 15 percent of the senate vote so they'd normally have quite a few senators like six or seven which when Labor and Liberal are fairly close, that can be very much a deciding factor. And it, it's, it's the same in the lower house. Okay. Basically what minor parties are hoping for is that uh, for a minority government, essentially. Right. So you can sort of barter their time, vote. But not. Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. We did have a minor government back in, uh, which election was it? We've had so many and so many, so much shenanigans the last few years, it's hard to keep track. But uh, the Julia Gillard, government for Labor was a minority government for the entirety of its term in office. Um, so, all right, so so that's kind of how the system works for people who aren't familiar. Um, let's talk about what happened on Saturday because uh, the election, I mean, polling for this election going back like two years or so i mean it's been like oh, yeah. weeks on end uh mm-hmm. or, you know, like a year and a half or, or more i think uh has consistently shown 
uh, that Labor was going to unseat the liberal-led coalition. Yes, uh, and, and do it quite convincingly. Too. Yes, I mean, most of the polling has been, you know, they're going to do it by, by you know, a comfortable margin. It cost Tony Abbott his job, which is the question I want to ask you about him, but in a <laughs> yeah. minute, um, you know, just the, all the polling, I mean, was enough to get him pushed out as, as Liberal Party leader. What happened, and is this actually as big a surprise, or was it as big a surprise to you uh, as as it seems to have been based on the polling? Uh, it honestly was to me, yeah. So I must admit I was fooled by the uh, cucked polls once more. <laughs> but uh, this time around, I feel like uh, it's a bit different. It's being compared to Trump in 2016 or Brexit, like to the level of surprise, but... I feel like the polls this time, there wasn't that kind of level of shadiness with the data that there has subsequently been shown to have been with Brexit and stuff like that. This time it really does feel like that uh, people were pretty much outright lying to pollsters <laughs> to embarrass <laughs> to admit who they were going to vote for. Jesus. Alrighty then. Because you, you cannot find a single poll from anyone that was saying the Liberal Party is going to win. I should just note too, I'm I'm simplifying a little bit. It's not, it, they're actually called the coalition because they're a formal alliance of two different parties, but they're essentially the Liberal Party. It's the Liberal Party in one, in a formal alliance with one very minor party called the National Party that are basically exactly the same as the Liberals, except that they focus on rural areas. They're like a country party, essentially. Okay. I just uh, wanted to put that out there because I know uh, Ozpol pedants might come after me if I don't. <laughs> oh, God, the Ospol pedants. Yeah, they're, they're a constant nuisance, but uh, we'll, we'll try to deal with them. Uh, so... But, so, yeah, so, yeah, it was... Uh, even the exit polls were predicting a Labor win 52 to 48 in the primary vote, and it turned out to be the exact opposite of that, pretty much, that Liberals won 52 48. <laughs> so, uh, but there was jokes and stuff, I know, amongst, uh, like, other Australians I follow on Twitter, because... Uh, the Australian, the leader of the Australian Labor Party is a very uninspiring, a dud, basically. He was Bill Shorten, or he was, he's stood down now. He was a very, a very Hillary-esque kind of candidate, or a better example might be he was an Ed Miliband kind of guy, just a very, a, a neoliberal, he was a compromised candidate as the leader in the first place. No one really likes him that much. He ran a very humdrum campaign, and uh, so there was a lot of jokes like, oh, the Liberals are absolutely going to win, but I don't think anyone was really serious when they were saying that. <laughs> right, like you're just going to gallows you. Yeah. Because um, but... <laughs> it, it's hard to overstate how dysfunctional the Liberals have been for the last three to four years as government. They are, as you said, on the basis of polls showing that Tony Abbott was really unpopular, they are turned against him and dumped him as Prime Minister and uh, chose Malcolm Turnbull, who also got right, dumped Also, the also on the basis of polls, him. right, got dumped out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they've been, and uh, Scott Morrison, I believe, has faced, he's only been Prime Minister for eight months now, and I believe he's already faced two leadership challenges, so it might only be one. <laughs> so, yeah, very, very dysfunctional, uh, not doing very good, never very low approval ratings for that entire time and yet uh winning quite comfortably so um yeah a, a big surprise for a lot of people especially considering like the issues involved uh climate change being a big one climate change is 
having a very noticeable effect on Australia and um, <clears throat> no one really seems to have a solution about what to do for that. <laughs> right, so I mean, it's like the worst it drought in, in as as I can tell. decades, right? I mean, is it Eastern Australia that's going through the drought? Yeah, yeah, my home state, actually. Oh, um, really? Oh, I'm so sorry. Of, uh, I live in Newcastle, uh, which is the Hunter region, and regions of the Hunter are very severely drought-affected, and uh, those regions are traditionally a labour stronghold because they are also coal mining areas. And uh, there was a 20% swing against uh, the Labor candidate for the upper hunter, I believe. Wow. Wow. Which is pretty devastating. I think he – I haven't actually checked. This was a few days ago. I believe he held onto the seat but just barely. And that's a seat they've never not held since wow. since, a, since uh, Confederation. <laughs> so that's not a good sign. For uh, and the swing was to one nation. I should uh, add. Oh, okay. Well, see that. Okay, that that helps set up a, a question. I'm going to ask you in a minute. But speaking actually of one nation, um, talk about uh, Fraser Anning. Uh, this is the guy that got egged, right? Yes, and then he's lost, the Nazi who got egged. Lost his yeah, seat. Fraser Anning is is an interesting figure in a way. He's a, he's an open white supremacist. He uh. He got elected to the Senate because the previous One Nation Senator, Malcolm Roberts, was found to have dual citizenship and thus was ineligible to be a senator. <laughs> he should have belonged to the so two nations. was party. kind of his replacement. And uh, in Australia, there's this tradition of uh, maiden senators give a speech, are allowed to give a speech, like the first time they're inducted into the Senate. And he chose to give one uh, calling for the return of what they used to have in Australia back, I think we got rid of it in the 60s, called the White Australia Policy, which forbade any immigrants who were not white Europeans from immigrating here. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so he called for a return oh of that God. and also requested or demanded that uh, the immigration problem needed a final solution. Those were his okay. exact words. I assume so, that uh, caused some upset. a good idea of the kind of guy he is. Yeah. Um, he was so openly racist that one nation actually dumped him really so, yeah they got rid of him <laughs> uh I, I believe it was shortly after that maiden speech he oh got such God. bad press that they, okay. they actually dumped him and he sat as an independent for a little while then he joined uh bob catter who americans might know a little bit about he's the guy who famously there's a soundbite of him saying in reaction to the gay marriage referendum, which we had recently, that uh, he ain't spending any time on it because every three days a uh, child is eaten by a crocodile in North Queensland or something to that effect. <laughs> He's well, a uh, priority crazy, like, rural Queensland politician who's basically an independent and decided to form his own party on the base on the back of his popularity as an independent. So Fraser Enning joined his party for a little while. That lasted about three months, I think, and he got kicked out of that as well for being too racist. Bob Catter is also extremely racist, I should know. <laughs> and uh, I believe he ran solely as an independent in this latest election. And it was looking like he was going to lose. The votes aren't entirely counted yet. The Senate can often take quite some time to decide because, uh, like I said earlier, the Senate is... Uh, the Senate is very different from voting in the lower house. It, it's simply a straight-up percentage vote. I see. Okay. And you only vote for parties uh, over individual actual senators. Okay. 
But uh, it's looking like he will indeed uh, lose his seat <laughs> since he was running as an independent. So, uh, yeah, it's not all bad news. He's gone. Tony Abbott's gone, which was very, very funny. Tony Abbott was, uh, if you can believe the polls, which you can't really anymore, but he was our most unpopular prime minister ever, as far as I can tell, as far as polls go. Anyway. Good grief. Well, okay, speaking of unpopularity, right, uh, the one thing that it seemed like amid the weeks upon weeks of bad polling for the coalition uh, leading up to them nevertheless winning the election, uh, the yeah. one thing that they've had going for them is that uh, the head-to-head polling on the question of who would you rather be prime minister. Yes, uh, yes. Bill Shorten, who's the leader of the Labor Party, you talked a little bit about him earlier, uh, has consistently been losing to whoever was the leader of the Liberal Party. Yeah, um, exactly. He, he's so, not a popular guy. Like how? He's not, he's not hated. He just doesn't inspire any feelings at all, really, <laughs> in anyone. So nevertheless, though, I, I just read actually an article, I think it was in Foreign Policy, uh, that suggested that Labor lost the election by being too radical. That does unfortunately seem to be the prevailing narrative now. They were too ambitious and progressive in their uh, policies. Is is that this? When I was reading the article, it seemed to me like the exact same uh, BS basically that we got here in the states after the two thousand four election when Bush, despite being George W. Bush, beat John Kerry, mm. and the story was well, John <laughs> Kerry was just too radical. Like radical, John yeah. Kerry was too radical. And Actually, yeah, John, George... John Kerry is not a bad uh, comparison. <laughs> another one. Well, and so and the counter narrative is that you know Bush, he's like this regular guy, and you want to have a beer with him and hang out. He's like a bro, and you just want to mm. you know whatever. Is is that the dynamic? I mean, is Scott Morrison that kind of guy, and is Bill Short? No, like not are really. we being? Is Scott this the same kind still... of BS? Basically, that is what I'm asking. Yeah. Scott Morrison is still kind of an unknown to, I think, to the most of Australians. He's only been Prime Minister for eight months. He was a Cabinet Minister before then, but not not a very prominent one, I guess. He did hold important portfolios, but not ones that get a lot of media attention, if that makes sense. So I don't think most Australians really know that much about him. He's not really that kind of like down-to-earth, blokey-bloke kind of guy. He, he plays at that, but all Australian politicians do. They kind of have to. You know, there's always shots of them in a pub drinking beer and going to the f- football and all that kind of stuff. He, he kind of tries to be that, but he's not really. He's a weirdo religious extremist. He's a member of this group called the Hillsong Church. I'm not entirely sure what their beliefs are. They seem to be kind of like evangelical Christians, very uh, right-wing ones. He's very like anti-gay marriage, anti-abortion, that kind of thing. So I don't think it was necessarily his popularity, more that just Australians don't know that much about him and no one really likes Bill Shorten. And Bill Shorten, of course, and Bill Shorten's radical uh, policy proposals such as ending franking credits, I believe. I don't know what franking credits are, but, but people talked about that a lot during the election. And uh, some vague idea about having every Australian having an electric car by the year 2030. That was another one of Bill's big, uh, bold policy visions. <laughs> so, uh, so in your opinion then, I mean, is this, 
is the narrative that's emerging that, that labor was too radical, does that reflect reality or is this like the usual thing that happens here in the states where every election the democrats if the democrats lose the response is well you were too far left you have to move to the right and it's all about moving to the right i think it is definitely that the australian labor party is very much a neoliberal centrist party and has been for quite some time their shift towards that actually predated like the democrats or even british labor doing that they were they basically were neoliberal centrists from the early 80s onwards and uh basically they just the aop the australian labor party did not have a base anymore essentially uh neither do the liberals really which is a problem for both of them it should be noted that uh i looked at the numbers just the other day both major parties actually polled less of the primary vote than they did at the last election, which <laughs> is pretty rare in Australian politics. It means that they're, they're both less popular, even though the Liberals won than right. they were back in 2016. <laughs> like, they're both managing to lose popularity at the same time. Yeah, essentially. So Fascinating. It, it's, it's, you're looking at your typical, in the Western world, an alienated, disenfranchised, not interested electorate who aren't really committed to any one party and are basically a huge massive swing voters every election that can't be predicted at all (laughs) which uh makes governing kind of hard to do i guess i I do believe that uh, if labor were a genuinely progressive left-wing labor party they would have done a lot better but uh they have they aren't that and they haven't been that for a very long time the last, the last person, and you've, you've mentioned him a couple of times already, but the last person I wanted to ask you about before we get into like diagnosing what, ha- you know, what, what happened here and what's going to happen, um, is Tony Abbott, who <laughs> lost, <laughs> lost his job as prime minister on the basis of polling that now doesn't seem to have been terribly accurate. Mm-hmm. And then lost his seat at the same time that his party was winning a surprise upset election. What must yes. be going through Tony Abbott's brain at this point? And do you think he could have won, or was he just so toxic that if he'd have been still kind think, of leading the party, uh, there would have been some? I think he was just so toxic. He kind of went off the deep end once he lost the prime minister's office. He um, had no real reason to restrain his true self. And uh, kind of just shifted further and further and further to the right. But also, uh, the thing about Tony Abbott is he's a Catholic and quite a zealous Catholic. And religion doesn't usually play too well in Australia. The politicians tend to actually downplay how religious they are. And uh, that was very hard for Tony because uh, he's he's a very committed Catholic. But um, one of uh, his major problems was... Uh, People might have heard in the news recently, Cardinal George Pell, who's the highest ranking Australian member of the Catholic Church, and I believe is rumoured to be like number two or three guy at the Vatican, like in the Catholic Church overall. He was convicted of pedophilia and is now in prison. And uh, Tony Abbott continued to support him despite all that which was not a very popular move for Tony. <laughs> yeah, that, being, understandably uh, supporting so. a convicted pedophile is, is not usually a good move when you're running for office. Politically seems like a loser, but okay. 
that that's just one example, but uh, I think that is definitely an example that is very fresh in voters' minds. And it should also be said, he's in a very, very safe Liberal seat. It's a very rich suburb of Sydney, essentially, that that is pretty much a lock for the Liberals every year. So, but, I mean, uh, so he it, managed it's pretty to lose outstanding it, but, that he managed yeah. to lose it. Okay, okay. So, in your opinion, uh, was this, how similar was this outcome to what we saw in 2016, where it was sort of uh, a Democratic Party that lost its base, has stopped speaking to its base, uh, and, you know, they went searching for something else and they landed on the guy who was blaming immigrants for everything. Like, did Morrison I, wink at all at the far right? Did he make any Oh, kind yes, of... yes. Okay. The liberals always do. The liberals, um, <clears throat> when One Nation originally formed in the 90s and uh, they were horrifyingly popular in the late 90s, one of the tricks the liberals did very early on was adopting most of their policies and just rewording them slightly so they didn't sound so, quite so openly <laughs> racist. And that pretty much killed One Nation the first time around. They've since come back, but there was quite a number of years there when One Nation was functionally extinct as a political party, and and that was why. And I'm afraid that's kind of what's going to happen again, that our right-wing party is going to move even further right, because... Uh, there does seem to be a lot of popularity for these minor right-wing parties. Thankfully, none of them seem to have managed to elect anyone, which is good. There's There were so many this election that they kind of all cannibalised each other's votes <laughs> and didn't manage to actually get anyone elected into parliament. They, they might have a couple of senators, but they always managed to sneak in a couple of senators, so that's nothing new. I'd say, but overall, I'd say there it is... It is fairly similar, but it's also tinged with, um, in Australia, that climate change is having a very real impact on people's lives in very real ways, and they're kind of panicking a bit and don't really know what to do. And and it's that it's that thing uh, Kushbaum talks about a bit on Chapo sometimes, that uh, no one's really offering them a solution except for the guy saying, this is all the immigrants' fault. They're coming and using our resources, which we desperately need now. And so that kind of makes sense to them, I guess. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pretty depressing to it, talk it's, about. It is depressing. Way, I mean, it's, especially yeah. in a country that has an actual Greens party that doesn't seem to be gaining any traction in the rural areas that have been devastated by climate change. Yeah. I mean, that seems like an obvious disconnect, but. Uh, yeah, the, the Greens Party have a real problem in that they're very much seen as an inner-city elite party. Okay. Kind of like latte-sipping, bicycle-riding, bougie hipsters, basically. That is very much the image, and it's not entirely incorrect either. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that is the problem that the, the Greens are facing is that they're just not getting any traction in areas where they really should. <laughs> Their primary vote number actually went down as well. This election, so so yeah, it's a it's a pretty depressing picture, really. We've got three years now till the next election, I believe, and uh, it's depressing in that uh, just people are choosing for things to be worse rather than not better <laughs> because the labor didn't really offer that much. Right, They're, instead of the same i guess they're choosing worse yeah, yeah. 
They're choosing actively worse. Yeah. Koalas are about to go extinct. I don't know if uh, how aware that news story, how much play that news story got in Australia, in America, sorry. I haven't seen that, but uh, that is yeah, definitely the, depressing. Yeah, the Australian Koala Society, I believe they called them, or maybe the Protection Society, something like that, has announced uh, that koalas are now functionally extinct. There's only 80,000 left in the wild. I think they're exaggerating a bit because 80,000 is a big number still. To be extinct, but uh, right. what they're not exaggerating is that koala numbers have fallen from like four hundred thousand in twenty ten to eighty thousand now, in just a few short years, which is not a good sign <laughs> at all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Great Barrier Reef is mostly dead now. The coral has died, and uh, yeah, it's it's not looking good. And people have just voted for the party that's going to only speed things up when it comes to all that. More coal mines, more uh, less business regulations. Uh, a group of Australian CEOs came out the day after the election and immediately called on Scott Morrison to reinvestigate and relax industrial relation laws. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I mean, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's it's just a very confused picture. It's. Uh, I remember back in 2016, one of my friends laughing at the result and saying Australia is ungovernable, and I kind of suspect that's still the truth. There's no, neither party has a base at all anymore. Uh, none of the minor parties even really have a base. People just vote for them because they seem to offer solutions, whereas the two main parties do not at all. Yeah, so it's, it's that same old problem, is that the racist parties are at least acknowledging that there's a problem, whereas the two main parties are not. Uh, the racist parties are not offering a solution to that problem, <coughs> acknowledging that it exists, and I guess that's appealing to some people when it's so obvious that there is a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's at least they're talking about the problem, I think. Yeah, you know, they're misdiagnosing the causes of it and the solutions they are offering won't help. But uh, I think there is a lot of power in just acknowledging. Just acknowledge that there is a problem, even if you're not talking about the right problem. People just want because to hear that you get so that there's a problem. To, you can't really deny it. People can feel it. Like it's winter right now and I could be walking around in shorts and a T-shirt. It hasn't been really cold at all this winter. We've had, I believe, four of the hottest summers on record in succession over the last four years. The drought is in its fourth year now, I think, in uh, large swaths of the country. So it, it's not something that you really can deny anymore, yet the two major parties kind of still do. So what... it's around it, they'll, they'll acknowledge, like, minor things, but no one's really grappling with it head on, I don't think. So what you're saying is Australia is already great. Didn't wasn't the right message. That's true. That's very true. Life. Australia has always been great. Oh, <laughs> uh, so all right. So you've talked a lot about uh, the environmental harm that Morrison's victory is likely to do. Um, is there anything else that is looming that uh, looks like a? a if not quite as catastrophic, as still a, a, a pretty bad, uh, you know, result of this election outcome? Uh, well, uh, the Liberals have wanted to get rid of Medicare for a long time now. They know they can't just openly scrap it 
that that's too unpopular. No, so so does Medicare is kind of things kind of similar to what the Tories in Britain are doing to the NHS? Okay, so okay. We, we can expect more of that. Uh, welfare, we can expect uh, to get worse and not better. Uh, the unemployment payments offered by the government have not been increased in 30 years. So people who were on unemployment in 1996 received the same amount of money that they do now, which is a bit of a problem considering the price of living has gone up quite a bit in that 30 years. Right. I honestly don't know how anyone on unemployment who has rent to pay can literally survive from week to week, and uh, a lot of them aren't. So, uh, of course, Labor didn't promise to raise that either, which is a big problem, but... Uh, it was at least, I guess, a possibility <laughs> that maybe they would, whereas Liberals definitely will not. So that that will probably actually get worse. Uh, let's see. Uh, the industrial relations laws that I talked about, they're already the CEOs of Australia, have banded together bravely to tell Prime Minister Scott Morrison that they really shouldn't have to pay their employees anymore. That's probably going to get worse. Uh, let me see. Oh, about our uh, appalling refugee policy, asylum seeker policy is not going to change, obviously. Uh, but again, Labor, well, that I was, was going to ask big yeah. thing Labor got criticised for is that their, their refugee policy is basically exactly the same. Okay. As, so there was no real chance of that one changing. But apparently on uh, Manus Island, the detention centre, uh, several... Uh, in, I don't like calling them inmates, but I guess that's what they are, have attempted suicide since the election result. Oh, wow. Which is pretty grim. Yeah. Uh, man, this is just... It's, it's I mean, hard the, to the be environment, optimistic. The environmental stuff <laughs> I was ready for, but a lot of this other stuff, I mean, I'm not familiar enough with Australian politics to uh, follow yeah, all this we've stuff. We've got a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the climate change stuff is the disturbing. stuff that seems to me like the most bonkers because it's... So obviously going to have a major impact on our country. But uh, there's a lot of other ones to... At, at this stage, my main hope that I've pinned is that uh, China invades us and takes over. <laughs> President G, we're waiting they're, they're for you. They've invested so much money in Australia, in, you know, in the mines and everything. They want to go protect that investment when society starts to collapse here. So, <laughs> so that's my big hope. The, the People's Liberation Army can, can come in and, and take care of All business. All the glorious leader. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's the other thing, though. You guys have to be uh, worried that if this trade war with the U.S. and between the U.S. and China goes on, uh, I mean, Australia's kind of caught in the middle of that, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I... I... Yeah, I think a big economic downturn is coming pretty shortly for Australia. I'm not a big uh, economics guy, so I can't really speak to that with any real knowledge. But uh, we did, we kind of managed to avoid the worst of the global financial crisis fairly well. We like kind of weathered the storm there, or at least held ground. But uh, it feel it very much feels like, and friends who are more in the know tell me this that uh, there's a number of very very large bubble bubbles that have to inevitably pop very violently very soon <laughs> well, there's I, a very much a housing bubble for example in australia which okay. is always uh reasons for optimism housing bubble because uh nothing bad ever happens when those pop no of course not that's perfectly fine 
Uh, that was another thing that I read after the, the election. Uh, apparently, I mean, there are signs of the economy kind of going into a, a downturn, but Morrison is like hell-bent on running a surplus, which is exactly yeah. the opposite of That's... what you want to do during a downturn. The, the thing about the surplus has become like this weird psychological thing with the Liberals because for so long that was their big stick that they wielded against Labor was that Labor always ran deficit budgets every year. And so it's become this thing they almost can't let go of, that they have to run a surplus even to the detriment of the entire country, which it, it very shortly probably will be. But that's this weird, yeah, this a holdover from their that no one really cares about anymore, but they're determined. It's like it's like a badge of pride to them that they always deliver a surplus. It doesn't really make any sense to me, but, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know why voters would be pleased to hear that the government is keeping their money and not spending it on anything. <laughs> I mean, even the Republicans at least had the good sense to do a tax cut as soon as, they, as, soon as you know, we started running surpluses, but, yeah. Uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, well, uh, you know, I would say uh, you should come here, but I'm not sure things are any better here. And yeah. maybe we're maybe all New just Zealand. waiting for, for President Xi nice. to help us. Yeah, New, New Zealand, there you go. There's an option. That's that's not bad. Um, but, uh, you know... Uh, Best of luck with your your new government and and their their stirring victory against all odds. Um, and Matt Brady, thank you for uh, helping us understand a little more about Australian politics and for being on the show. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, please come and rescue us, President G. <laughs> yeah, if you want to make a final appeal, this is your chance. <laughs> I know he's a big listener. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Thanks, Eric. Okay, I want to thank Matt Brady again for uh, coming on and helping me at least, and hopefully some of you to understand Australia's election a little better. Uh, I know, again, that interview did kind of end on a downer of a note, but if that's where things are headed, that's where things are headed, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to deal with it. This episode, of course, as all of our interview episodes, uh, will be open to the public. Uh, So anybody who's interested can take a listen. Uh, I will be back tomorrow, uh, hopefully, unless something terrible happens, uh, for subscribers to continue our series on the Iranian Revolution. Uh, For the rest of you, I am... uh, efforting at this point to uh, line up somebody who can talk to us about the elections in India. Uh, hopefully that'll be uh, that'll be coming soon uh, in the next week or so. Uh, I'll do the best I can. Uh, until next time, uh, for everybody, as always, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.